All right. Looks like it's 12 p.m. here on the East Coast, Thursday uh, afternoon and probably uh, Thursday morning on the West Coast. Uh, I'm Shelby Hill. I'm a talent leader here with uh, Living HR for uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Leadership. Uh, I am your work now and in the future moderator today. So welcome everyone. If this is your first time uh, connecting with us here at Living HR, our purpose is to humanize work um, and provide lift for the people function within organizations. Um, we make work better by building inclusive cultures, better experiences and nurturing talent to help those who are inspired to be better humans at work and really just help them to reach their potential in the workplace. I'm super excited here to have our guests uh, with us today. Uh, we're looking forward to a very ardent, informative and meaningful discussion about well-being at work for humans in the workplace and how enhancing well-being can help us further humanize work and build uh, healthier people-to-people -people connections. So today for the next 90 minutes, um, I'm joined by a fascinating panel. Uh, each panelist will be offering unique perspective, immense value, and uh, varied experiences with you, our audience, today. So we look forward to your engagement throughout this, this experience. So now I'm going to do basically a brief uh, highlight of each panelist. However, as we dive in, uh, I have them expound a little bit more on their introduction. So I want to start with Kim Pope. Uh, she's a Chief Operating uh, Officer at Wilson HCG. She's an internal practitioner uh, expert for strengthening mental healthness at Wilson HCG. So welcome, Kim. Also want to welcome Lindsay uh, Crichton. She is the head of Headspace at work. Uh, she's a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, and promotes mental well-being boundaries and meditation for business-to-business -business programs to teach employees mindfulness. Then I also want to introduce uh, Dr. Melissa Melanic. And uh, she's a licensed clinical psychologist. So she specializes in a clinical assessment, um, uh, executive consultant with significant clinical and research experience in sleep disorders, anxiety, stress, trauma, emotional processing. So looking forward to connecting with Melissa. And also Natalia Levy, uh, who is a chef, a, a restauranteur, a TEDx speaker, co-founder of High Hospitality and author of Cravings Boss. And Natalia advocates for a holistic approach to nutrition and self-care. So super excited about everyone today. So again, our topic is about well-being at work. Uh, it's a topic that's very important to me because arguably now, now more than ever, I'm working more, I'm busy more than ever before, uh, which is great. That's a good thing. However, safeguarding my mental and physical well-being is essential to me, uh, sustaining a high level of engagement in my work and personal relationships. And I think in that regard, um, I want to share that, you know, uh, one of the very special things that we do here at Living HR is we pulse internally to see where we are uh, as an organization, uh, as teammates, uh, in terms of our well-being. So we also provide our well-being inventory and survey to our clients to get them to also self-identify where, where they're at in their well-being journey as an organization, because we do understand the need for work-life integration and its unquestionable impact on humans. So I'm really looking forward to uh, learning from everyone here today. Um, just a few housekeeping reminders before we get started. Uh, at the bottom of your screen, if you're joining us here in uh, Zoom, uh, if you're new to Zoom, uh, there's a chat feature. So please feel free to use the chat feature uh, for any questions you have. 
Um, we'll have time towards the end of our session today for some Q&A with our guests. So uh, get your questions ready as we go through. Please feel free to use the chat to comment professionally and respectfully, of course, or if you just want to acknowledge a profound comment by one of our guests or just to express support, you can comment there. Please, please, please don't use the chat to troll or agitate the environment here. Uh, we have zero tolerance regarding that behavior. Uh, that kind of behavior will uh, definitely get you virtually escorted out of the session uh, should that kind of behavior surface. So we just urge no, no trolling. Um, also, please, uh, you can see, let's see here. You can see us, but we can't see you. And that's okay. So feel free to grab a beverage, uh, you know, lunch, a snack. Uh, just all we want you to do is relax, enjoy the knowledge we're about to drop on you for the next 90 minutes. That's it. So enjoy yourself. You don't have to do your hair or anything like that. Um, I do want to mention that we are thrilled to have our partners with us from our drawing booth. Uh, they're here today doing some real-time artwork. Uh, in other words, they're going to be drawing our experience in real time. So I think that is so cool. Um, and just an FYI, this event is recorded. Uh, we'll be sharing the recorded version with you uh, shortly after the event closes. And finally, if you have any tech issues uh, during this event, please email info at livinghr.com. That's e uh, it's info at livinghr.com. And my exceptional colleague, Alexandra, will promptly arrive on the scene to support you. Speaking of exceptional, Alex is going to share a few polls with our audience. There's a few polls. There's three, I believe. And she's going to post uh, three of them one, uh, one at a time. So Alex, would you care to share the first poll with the group? Does your company currently offer any well-being support? Yes, my company does. So we'll let that sit for about uh, another 10, 15 seconds. Make sure everyone can participate. All right, Alex, and if you want to go ahead and drop poll number two. Oh, saw some results there. Which pillar do you feel is most beneficial to your personal well-being? It's a good question. Okay, and Alex, if you can go ahead and drop the last poll, poll number three. The remote world. Have you been able to clearly define your well-being boundaries? Boundaries, what are those?
I hear you, Sarah. Kind of. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, Alex, I appreciate it. I think we should be good to go. And without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to our guests to introduce themselves. So I'd like to start with Kim Pope. You're on deck. What do you do? Thanks. And where are you currently broadcasting from? Thank you, Shelby. I'm broadcasting from Tampa, Florida. And I currently work for a global recruitment outsourcing organization called Wilson HCG. I've been with the organization almost 11 years. And I really appreciate being invited for this discussion today because we've got a great group of people that are very passionate about this. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I like your ambient lighting there. So you're really embracing thank the you. well-being environment, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Uh, welcome, and Natalia. I'm mute, I guess. Um, I always start with gratitude. I'm so grateful to be here with this incredible professionals and really just happy to be here and be healthy. So thank you. Um, I am from Tampa, Florida, and I am a trained chef and I'm a restaurateur. We currently have two family restaurants and uh, we are growing, expanding more. Um, I do have a, about a decade background in personal development, personal growth, and all kinds of certified with health and wellness and nutrition. So what I've been doing is integrating the, the well-being into the hospitality industry. Very nice. That's an industry I'm certain can use some well-being, some, some, some balance. So uh, that's good work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, Melissa. Hello. Thank you so much as well for having me here today. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and also a clinic, clinical assessment advisor. So I work for PAR, Psychological Assessment Resources, and specifically with Invista, which is their division that specifically works with corporate and executive well-being and mindset. And so we've been doing a lot of work to help companies to get that deeper dive, that deeper assessment, not just on engagement, but looking at burnout and turnover and risk and all these different areas, resilience impacted, especially right now with the pandemic and all these things happening in society to be able to give a better picture of what is happening and how we can actually provide practical solutions. So I tie in my expertise with anxiety and stress and sleep problems to not put you to sleep while talking about sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. That's uh, I saw I saw you writing down those poll questions. So I know you're looking to collect some data, aren't you? <laughs> oh, most definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, Melissa, for being here. And uh, Lindsay. Hi, yeah. Uh, so Lindsay Crittenden from Headspace. Uh, have the really good fortune to work with companies all over the place um, on mindfulness and meditation practices uh, in, in the workplace. I'm broadcasting from San Francisco, California. We are going through a cold snap and I'm very, very freezing. But, the, but I know the, the energy from this panel is going to be great. So happy to be here. That's awesome. So it's cold over there. It is cold, yeah, surprisingly. What's cold over there in California? Uh, the air. <laughs> <laughs> is it like 40 degrees? I think it was like- Oh, you mean the here. temperature? Uh, yeah, about 37 degrees. Okay, all right, that's pretty cold. It's chilly. 
Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here. We're excited to get engaged with you. Um, you know, we, we mentioned a little bit about the, uh, the workplace and the, the environment. Um, I think Melissa did. And so when you think about the climate, um, how the climate has changed drastically over the past several months for millions of employees uh, across the country and across the world, you could argue, um, more, more people are, are working remotely now than ever before. Uh, approximately about 42% of U.S. labor force is actually working from home full time. Um, and research is reflecting that marginalized groups are disproportionately impacted by the remote work environment. So my question to you, um, and this is for anyone who wants to, or all of you, whoever want to tackle, who wants to tackle it, what can leaders, you know, supervisors, executives, managers, what can they do to elevate inclusion in the virtual workspace today? I can, I'll dive in on this one, um, especially coming from an organization that's always historically been hybrid. So having in office and also virtual working um, has been a benefit to us through this, um, where some organizations have struggled to quickly adopt it um, in a very short period of time and engage employees. And I think the biggest um, focus area is the cultural leadership of understanding to have flexibility with that. It's impacted um, people for different reasons. And so we've seen a lot of organizations really have to be more flexible with working hours, more flexible with um, the ability to support um, different days within the week, and then also being able to um, just be able to be flexible if people want to have different options. Um, you've seen some organizations like Twitter, Shopify go completely virtual now, Future State, to try to give people the opportunity to actually plan ahead. Um, where that's, you know, kind of a stress that's been on people's minds. So it really focuses around the leadership and then engagement initiatives, you know, make sure there's video calls, um, giving people the support to turn off their laptop instead of, you know, they don't have the commute, so they may not be able to um, shut it off on their own. So the leaders really have to help guide through and lead by example um, in those aspects. So those are some of the things that we've seen to really help through that. And I think it's going to continue for next year as well. Um, you know, Headspace, we, it's interesting you mentioned moving remote first because we recently decided to do that, you know, in the, um, you know, inspired certainly by the, the pandemic or accelerated, we probably would have gotten there anyway. But I think the thing that we've seen in working with a lot of different companies, um, and McKinsey recently came out with a report and I can, I'll maybe put it in the chat, the link to it about women in the workplace and you know, the impact particularly that uh, COVID and, and homeschooling has had on, on women in the workplace. And um, one of the things that we're really trying to work on and certainly prompts we're asking our, our partners to understand how they're thinking about it um, is really thinking through the lens of how are we judging performance? Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the butt in chair um, mentality and how important that has traditionally been in terms of actually being able to get promoted and to, to be perceived as a high achiever. Um, you know, as a, as, a, as a broad leadership and management um, team, we really have to think about, well, 
actually what are the metrics that matter and how are we making sure that when we're looking at populations that require that flexibility, are they still in, you know, are they still being promoted? Are there still career advancement opportunities? So not just trying to have the flexibility because that's almost um, become a little bit easier over time, but making sure that that flexibility and, and taking advantage of it doesn't actually penalize you in, in the long run. Um, and so those are the types of policies we're trying to think through and really understand how mindfulness can help companies um, and, and managers think ab about it, frankly, just a little more deeply on a, on a recurring basis. Lindsay, it's so interesting you said that because I think that along those same lines, what we're finding is a lot of folks are feeling the pressure that they have to be more present. Like, okay, I don't, I'm not commuting, so I have to get on my email and check it earlier in the morning so that folks know that my, you know, my bosses know that I'm here and I'm present, or I'm trying to respond at late at night because if we've seen the flexibility in scheduling, if one employee or a manager is responding to emails at 10 o'clock at night because that's when their kids went to sleep and they got back on the computer because they wanted to respond and they feel that they want to put that time in because they have the flexibility in where their hours as long as the work is getting done, then other employees feeling, oh, I'm getting an email at 10 o'clock at night, I need to be on, I need to respond, or I missed something during dinner time when I was with my kids, or maybe helping with homeschooling and navigating that. Mm -hmm. And how do we provide that support with how the flexibility then feels this pressure to feel even more on and to constantly be responding? We're actually mm -hmm. finding that people that are that significant in increasing of the work hours isn't increasing productivity in some ways it's actually reducing it because there's no time to disconnect or to have that opportunity to decompress and feeling oh well i'm weak or lazy if i express those needs so we're just working with organizations to help managers to be able to ask the questions and show the support and also for employees to be able to express that they need that support without feeling that that's going to make them look weak or lazy yeah, it's it's interesting. I certainly you know I'm a I'm a parent of of two children uh, in elementary school, and I've I've certainly in the past struggled with the with the idea of not having to make up the hours that I've you know in mythical hours in my mind that that I've missed during the workday. I'm I'm really curious from kind of everyone on the panel um, how how you're encouraging or getting managers to notice that some of that behavior is happening um you know do they realize that they're getting responses at 10 p.m because that might not be a great indicator of the health of their team um but realizing it i think can be a real challenge uh, what what's everyone else doing I'm, I'm so curious i think it's for us it's having the conversation and keeping the conversations open um, and having those safe space sessions where people can really talk through and hold each other accountable. Um, myself personally, that's something that, you know, I've really worked on this year more so than ever is when I respond to things, how I respond, um, even on the weekends, you know, I've stopped. I used to do that thinking I was going to catch up, uh, get ready for the week, but then not realizing the impact of that on others. And so I've, you know, really been more mindful in that. So it really comes from the leadership and also the accountability between the teams to be able to call each other out, have those conversations and be aware of it. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head there too, where part of it is just becoming aware. 
right? We're just in yeah. this autopilot and we talk about it in this. So, you know, right now just trying to survive instead of thriving. And you're just going on that autopilot, not taking those moments to be present or to slow down and recognizing that when we're trying to do that and trying to catch up, uh, we, we talk a lot about if we paid half as much attention at recharging our bodies and ourselves and our minds as we do with keeping our technology charged, where that would take us, you know, plug yourself in on the charger instead, instead, but really, so one of the things that Invest is doing is we're actually, we have resource guides where we're working with managers and helping them to be able to ask the questions in a way, as I said, that employees feel heard. And again, we're not crossing boundaries, but being able to really create that space to listen and to recognize, as well as for employees to feel comfortable to create that space where they can express what their needs are. I think we see a lot at the beginning, everybody was just so appreciative to have a job and to be working and they wanted to prove their worth and they didn't know where there were gonna be furloughs or other pieces. And so nobody wanted to express anything. And so if we've been hearing that, oh, everybody says they're okay, I know that sometimes people aren't and it's okay to ask the question again and to be able to revisit it again to see where, or even just, I know with at, at PAR and Invista, giving a mental health day, or, you know, just being able to say, take it, take that day, or recognize that it is important to have that break and really highlighting that. It's not just lip service, but we're really wanting to encourage those behaviors. I think you, you both bring up, you all bring up some really good points. And, you know, obviously in a virtual world, we don't have the luxury of, um, you know, just kind of passing by the boss's office and, you know, chit-chatting and, you know, making small talk or, you know, going to the copier and making sure that the boss sees that I'm being productive and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's really just Zoom um, or Teams. And so with the significant uptick in Zoom meetings and team meetings back to back and, you know, now with the office being just a few steps away from the dinner table, uh, it makes it really tough, right? So, you know, how do or when do we draw the line as, you know, and, and, and set boundaries as leaders and as employees um, when it comes to recharging and, and, and establishing, you know, recharging for our health and our well-being? What, what role can technology play in that and enhancing that wellness? And, and, and when do we have those conversations? Um. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as a as a technology and content company, we we definitely think about that a lot. You know, how how might we um, encourage behaviors uh, through the use of this app that, on this thing that we all carry around? You know, Melissa just mentioning we charge it a lot, we pay a lot of attention to it, um, and and some of the things that we we think about um, one is we we do have stress measurements in inside of our app that that people can take to to um, and and the ability to actually journal and and get proactive about measuring what's going on with themselves over time and then we certainly uh, work to kind of surface some of that information and make recommendations and so I know I keep going back to this mindfulness thing but you kind of have to have some practices and the other thing that we've actually started doing internally um, at Headspace is that um, every Friday is either off or it's a no meeting day. Um, mm -hmm. And what that means is that you are turning off Slack, you are snoozing all your notifications, you are, if you're writing emails, you have to actually 
do the um, the sin later and like sin later doing routine business hours um, because what what we've found and certainly you know you hear this time and time again when we're talking with our partners is that well I could take days off but when I come back I have a bajillion things to do and it's almost like a punishment to take time away from work um, and so we've tried and are trying to encourage other companies to make it a company-wide thing everyone has to stop so it's not just this like rat race of trying to to catch up after all of your colleagues have continued to keep going that's a terrible feeling to to be be trapped in that loop yeah, well it's interesting because in our industry everything is kind of flipped on its head and with us you know we friday is our monday for, mm -hmm. you know for, for most people and and the hours that we do we work our later hours and you know, so for us, it, the key is to, and we have over a hundred employees and, and team members and, you know, all throughout different locations and, you know, from the office. So for us, the key, so what I have done is I communicate with, with my leadership team and the managers and every Monday I send them this mindful Monday minute newsletter to, you know, as a sort of a recap and what goes on and, and so with just the one point that will inspire them to communicate with it, with the teams. And then, you know, every day we have pre-shift meetings and then once a week we have a weekly managers meeting. So as much as, you know, we, being an essential business, we have to have a lot of the communication in person. However, um, we do a lot of, uh, um, communication also through um, through our industry specific things, and we can you know send out messages within the teams as well. But I think that focusing on one point for the week, and then with daily meetings to just sort of reiterate that that one thing, that one percent changes, is what we've been really focusing on. That's awesome. I know that uh, one of the things that we do at Live in HR is. Um, we have uh, Marissa, who is uh, like one of our colleagues, and she's exceptional. And every every day, uh, probably I think around noon, she'll send out like a pause exercise for uh, for to the entire group in the chat, and, and whether it's some sort of, you know, take a ten minute break and go for a walk, or you know, walk unplug your computer and you know read a chapter, whatever it may be. And so it's really cool to see how. Uh, a lot of us actually exercise, you know, that we actually um, participate in those pauses and then we circle back and comment on them. And it is rejuvenating. So it's just being intentional about some of those efforts. I know another thing we do to be more inclusive in our um, environment is that before we have a weekly team meeting and we, uh, just to get everybody FaceTime and, and, and engage with everyone across the, the organization, will assign um, an individual a, uh, an opportunity to facilitate a, an energizer for the group, a five minute energizer before we start the call. And, uh, and those are a lot of fun. Those are a lot of fun. This uh, past one we did was uh, uh, everyone sharing their zodiac sign, right? So uh, that was pretty interesting. We had some pretty cool insights there about each other's uh, personalities and whatnot. So, but those are little things that we've done just to create energizers, break the ice and to, to help everybody rejuvenate. So I think to everyone's point, Lindsay, you know, being intentional about or being mindful about doing those things is absolutely essential. 
I love that. I was going to say, we, we do a wellness Wednesday, same kind of thing where we get an email every week with one quick tip or one strategy that you can do. And then our CEO at PAR and Invista sends out a daily sunshine email. And mm -hmm. so it's either a quote or we've all seen those fabulous videos and parodies and just something that requires you to take a quick break and just decompress for a minute and focus on it. Or, But I like that idea of daily sunshine to just, and even sometimes it's just saying it's okay to, to not be okay or to need a break, but to have that pause. It sounds like a lot of us are doing those in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. It also helps us, as you, you uh, mentioned before, it also helps when your leader kind of leads by example, yeah. right? Not just sending the emails out at 10 p.m., but actually saying, hey, guys, I'm taking a mental health day on Friday. And this is exactly what I'm doing. So, hey, I'm doing it. So I'm encouraging you to do it, too. Um, and our leader does that, too. And that, that sex is a really good example. Um, you know, we, we have other things like Bud Day where we cover for one another if someone needs that that mental health day. So we'll cover for the others. So a lot of examples out there um, that can really help stimulate a, um, a, uh, a wellness environment for your, for your teammates. And I, I wanna add another thing that we do in the industry is, you know, we have the pre-shift meetings where we talk about the things that will, will be on the menu and all of that kind of stuff. But I've, I've worked with the teams on creating this sort of shift readiness mindset. And that's another thing that you can do with your teams is every day before you start work, take those two, three minutes. And maybe like Shelby was saying, get to know each other and compliment and, and actually start your day on that really positive note. And I, that has, I know we do it every day and maybe that's something that companies can implement on, on some kind of level as well, be, as a, as a pre-day. Yes. So you totally reminded me, we have in our teams, we have an actual channel that's called um, PAR Par Applause. And so anytime somebody does something that we're grateful for, and this was something that we had done when we were in the office where they had gratitude trees and you could fill out a little apple and mm -hmm. put it if someone did something. And so now we've transitioned that to a more virtual where it's one of the, the channels and everyone gets a notification. So when our distribution center puts out a fabulous order really fast or our marketing team has done a quick turnaround or someone is just in something to have an impact, then it gets that highlight and that applause and that opportunity to celebrate even the smallest wins to kind of build that community, even though we are separate and being able to still share some connection on the positive. That's a great point, Melissa. We we have what we call a high five uh, for our for our chat and Zoom. So when we do something cool or exceptional, we'll put it in the chat. And, and you know, it it's it it is exciting. It does give you a little bit of a, um of a what's the what's the what's the positive energy? Not cortisone, but uh, <laughs> is it cortisone? Yeah, I guess it is. It's a, it's a nice little energy boost uh, boost to know that you were recognized for doing you know good work with your teammates. So that's pretty cool. That's a great uh, exercise as well. Um, yeah, one one plug for that too for a technology. We use a technology called Kudos, uh, which is the peer to peer recognition, and you can give kudos. We have either an option to give back to charity or based on um, the kudos points, you know, you can earn different things that you can order, but that's another way that we do it from a technology standpoint internally at Wilson. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I think initially we were talking about some, uh, 
we're talking a lot about working more than what we should be, right? So I know for, and I'll just preface it with, I know, for example, for, for Living HR, we, our approach is more towards, uh, to our approach to mental health, uh, mental well-being is uh, proactive. That's about prevention. So, you know, we provide tools like boundary, uh, boundary plans. We have a library of, uh, uh, of well-being resources. And as I mentioned before, pauses and micro-learnings and, you know, experts that we offer to our clients to help support their, uh, their employees and help their employees actually express what their needs are. So from a leadership perspective, um, what do you what do you what do you feel would be most effective for an organization to aid in preventing burnout of their employees? And I know we were touching on that a little bit, but you know it's well, it's like I said, your 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 office now in most cases is a few few steps from the bedroom. Um, you know, you get bored instead of binge watching nowadays, we, we, we go into our office and open up our email. Um, so how, we, how what, what are some tips that we can do or advice that we could provide uh, for organizations to prevent burnout of their employees? Well, an obvious response is you should, you should use Headspace or a meditation app for your whole company. <laughs> but, but, but uh, you know, jokes aside, what we hear is managers don't know in traditional like leadership or management curriculum, you may have brought in, you know, your L&D team brought in a year ago. It probably, it probably isn't relative. Re relevant if it hasn't been reevaluated through a lens of how we're working now. So, um, you know, again, what we hear from our, our partners a lot, the companies who we work with is, is quite literally, we, we don't know what to say to our managers. And, and what that means is a lot of companies actually haven't developed a position on explicitly, like, here's my managerial checklist. If I am a manager, I do the, this, this, and this to help prevent burnout. Um, and then the education piece that goes with it, which is, hey, manager, you may not care about burnout, but your metrics are going to nosedive if you don't. And so, you know, it, people just don't know. And, and I think that it's almost incumbent upon us as an industry to try and get to a place where we can help one another because it's new to all of us. So I'm also going to jump in and say that from a burnout standpoint, one piece is to do a deep dive into your team, into your organization. So for instance, the Invista Wellbeing Solution Assessments that we've put together where we're able to go in and look at the underlying metrics of what is driving burnout in each individual organization, because for some, it can be the emotional pieces, the stress, the anxiety, those things, other places it can be factors of resilience, or it could be a professional piece of just the workload's gone up and we don't have the technology to do this. But so I think one, we, again, of course, it's that deeper dive of really understanding what's driving it because there's certain key factors and key drivers that impact that. But from a practical tip standpoint, a lot of times what we're seeing, and so not only are we doing the assessments, but with Invista, we also come in and provide solutions so that we can help to impact that. And what we're finding for strategies to specifically concrete, practically apply to help to combat burnout. 
Some of it is having more of a set routine and a schedule. And to if you had that morning commute where you listened to that podcast or you worked out in the morning, still encouraging to take that time to do that. The end of the night, if you were having that dinner with family, instead of just jumping right back on the computer, setting up a specific space where it is your workspace. For a lot of us, we started at home and we had a temporary space and we feel chaos because we don't have that organized set place. But this is when I'm working and being able to step away from it, even if it is the other side of the dining room table. And part of it too is we're really good at being kind to other people and recognizing that other people, maybe they are struggling with balancing schedules or kids at home or technology or access, but we're really bad at having that same for ourselves and being kind to ourselves and being able to recognize that we're doing the best that we can. So those are some of the quick practical tips that we've been using and that research is backing behind burnout, but also, and I think this is probably one of the most important ones, is recognizing that engagement, how engagement and burnout work together. And that just because someone is really engaged doesn't mean that they're not at risk for burnout. Burnout isn't that you're lazy. It isn't that you can't do your job. It isn't that you're not interested or you don't care, you know, recognizing what it isn't. But for a lot of us, and especially you see this from managers too, is we're so overly involved right now because we want to make sure that we're getting the job done or we're grateful to have that or we want to prove our, that we're present and working, that the higher levels of engagement can actually contribute to more risk for burnout and exhaustion. Hmm. That's a great point. And actually, officially, the term burnout was was recognized by the World Health Organization in 2019, so last year. So so we know that the problem exists and it's not new. And I think the biggest thing, of course, is acknowledging the problem, the problem, just like with anything else that we deal with. The first thing, you know, whatever it is, is acknowledge it. Is it does the burnout happen? And then I think that the, the important thing is to look at this from the holistic perspective. So it's not just what people eat. It's not just their work hours. It's not just, you know, the just the environment itself and and like we were talking about the flexibility you know as the conditions are constantly changing you know how are we adopting though the information and how do we adopting to encouraging our employees to to preventing that burnout state well i'm hearing a lot so one i'm hearing we need to you know allow ourselves more grace as individuals, right? We're, we're very good at providing grace and consideration to others, but we also need to provide ourselves with grace. Um, and then as leaders, we need to also pay attention to the people that we support, the people that report to us. Um, even though I may have a high capacity or threshold for, for um, working long hours, if I recognize that you know my direct reports are probably trying to work long hours as well, that I need to be able to you know, help them make it okay for them to, 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 to not work those long hours. It's okay. The work will be here tomorrow, you know, and at the end of your shift and go be with your family or go, you know, go do what you do away from work. Is that what I'm hearing that, you know, leaders need to be um, more self-aware and also more socially aware uh, for their teams? I definitely agree. And I think that that level, there's a bit of a level of vulnerability you know, even from the leaders from the top down in terms of being willing to admit that it's a stressful time. 
you know, when you hear that and have your leaders being willing to say, yeah, everyone's impacted by this right now. I needed to take a moment. It was so powerful um, at PAR and Invista for our CEO to even share and say, I'm going to take a day and spend some time with my family. And I think that that in many ways, as you say, you know, showing and being that example and doing it first helps the rest of the team to recognize that that is okay to take that break and to decompress. We're so go, go, go right now that I think for a lot of us, we're at this constant kind of, I say simmering, you know, we're, we're, we never really have keep going down to baseline because we're constantly in this threshold of under stress and under stress and we just keep going. And when we're not taking that time at all to decompress, it will build a lot faster. So I think leadership from the top down, if it feels vulnerable, I say that in the sense of we don't always want to show the, in the past, there was this hesitation of showing emotion or showing those pieces. And I'm so glad that, you know, silver lining with what's happening, even with the pandemic, with us having more of a recognition on mental health and on well-being and on these other pieces, but acknowledging that everyone is undergoing that stress and it's okay to take that break, that example from the top down means so much and has such an impact. I love your use of the word vulnerability because we are all in some ways, if you're you're sitting, I'm sitting here, I could have two children like pop into this room at any point in time. <laughs> and, and that I think, you know, because we have this tradition in our work culture of not bringing that stuff with us, we are inherently vulnerable to showing more of who we are. And, um, and it is extraordinarily powerful when your CEO is willing to, you know, to, to share how they're feeling, like directly share how they're feeling. It creates a sense of authenticity, which is one of the things that's core to your employees, you know, feeling success, successful and connected to your organization. So uh, if, if I had to pick a keyword, I think vulnerability is such a great one. I, I, I agree. I, um, that was one of the things I was going to ask, you know, when we talk about, and specifically to you, Melissa, you know, in your assessment work, you know, I'm just curious to know what is the data reflecting around trends <laughs> towards psychological challenges pertaining to well-being and mental, mental uh, wellness, you know, and how can, how can um, managers and leaders better support employees to navigate stress in this new environment? And so, you know, you can share what the trends are and what the challenges are and if there's any remedy to any of that, but I know that vulnerability, based on what we've shared uh, thus far, uh, really helps bring down the walls um, you know, for, as, as, a, as an employee and uh, to a leader uh, relationship to say, hey, it's okay to be human. Definitely. I think that, you know, with recent studies that we've been doing with Invista, we're finding, you know, risk for just that full, I know we keep using the term burnout, but what we look is we look at, we have a model of overall well-being and we look at the emotional pieces. So the anxiety, the stress, sadness, loneliness, we look at that, that bounce back ability, that resilience, that optimism, as well as we said, you know, the professional piece of feeling supported. And for a lot of organizations, what we're finding is employees are saying, yeah, I, I feel support, but there's these other pieces. And when you take it all together right now, nationwide, we're seeing significant increases in overall reports of insomnia, anxiety, stress, you know, two thirds to three quarters of the population feeling this. And so recent studies with Invista seeing that risk for burnout has increased to about 32 to almost 40% that we're seeing, again, if you talk about the blurred lines, that now employees are six times more likely to be at risk for burnout, especially with these lower levels of well-being. 
And what's interesting is employees are indicating over 100% endorsement of like literally at that 100% level of endorsement of commitment towards organizations' missions and belief in their work and they're engaged. But of those employees, over a third are still showing that risk with we're saying that engagement and burnout piece. And as much as almost up to 50%, so 46% in our recent studies that we're seeing at risk for turnover because of all of that stress and because of all of that pressure. So what's interesting, just a couple last few stats to throw out there. On average, we're finding that eight out of 10 employees will not seek help from a mental or behavioral health standpoint out of fear and shame and worries about that before the pandemic over 400 million workdays were lost just due to depression pre-pandemic. So a lot of our research and our studies we're conducting, we're finding that over 70% of employees are saying, please, we want wellness and well-being programs. And even if we're engaged in the mission, we're exhausted. Wow, that's staggering. It, it almost sounds like there's a, you know, we're on the cusp of a, um, of an epidemic of some other sort, right? A mental wellness epidemic. So, if we don't, if we don't get this, uh, you know, get our hands around it, uh, Natalia, I'm curious with you. So, you know, from the restaurant environment, I mean, that's a whole nother uh, population of people that's always high stress and, and a lot of turnover, and and then you add, you know, a pandemic on top of that. What does burnout look in that environment, and how how are you able to to to, to manage that? Well, sure. So uh, this industry, like I mentioned, the numbers are changing, obviously, now. But the last we've employed 15 million people in this industry, and probably one in three people has worked in a restaurant or, you know, will. It's it's one of the largest employer of teenagers. And just from that perspective, I, I mean, I had 14-year-old daughter open a restaurant for me. With, with us. Uh, so, you know, we have to think about this very diverse age range, even, you know, from, you know, from the teenagers that work with us to uh, different age people. So, you know, we really, we had to have mandatory shutdown. And what I've done is during shutdown is, is really work to connect with a lot of the people and and we were able to identify strengths of different people some people came and worked um at night some people uh worked during the day some people worked on takeout and delivery and i think that that has allowed us as, as a company to really understand our team members on more individual levels and just see where they at and, and understand their strengths and i would sit and and do breathing exercises with my managers and you know, we know how, how important that breathing is. And, you know, the industry has the highest rates of mental health disorders. And, you know, we, we, we've all heard of Anthony Bourdain and his suicide. And, and so I just feel like for us within the industry, it's more important than ever to really focus on just holding everybody's hand and saying like, look this, where are you? Are you okay? You know, for with us within the organization, uh, everybody has access to me. You know whether it's they, I, I get text messages, I get Facebook messengers, I get emails. So just I think that everybody, so long as they know that they have access to somebody who will hear them out, so that they don't feel alone or lonely. Because sometimes all we need is just that one person to tell us that you're not alone. 
and I am here to just listen to you. I think that's really powerful. Agreed. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, we have. A, I'm going to go to the chat here, and um, we have a question, anonymous question uh, around burnout. The question is: Is there a role here for managers to encourage leave or vacation days, even though there may be no place to go during the pandemic? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just taking those days. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that my organization rolled out, um, it was January, February, so right before the pandemic, but it was really perfect timing, was something called My Time. So unlimited PTO was a part of our corporate wellness program that we launched in 2020. And as you can imagine, because the pandemic, we started to see people not taking it uh, initially because they were having some of those anxiety and fear. And what would that look like if they did? So it really comes down to the managers and the top down of having those conversations of why it's important just to take a day or multiple days, whatever it is needed to be able to regroup, recharge, and they have to lead by example. Um, myself included, I just got back from maternity leave and taking that time was so critical. And I knew that it, going through that, I was also setting the stage for other uh, working mothers um, within the organization. And so it was really important for me to lead by example through that and take as much time as I needed. Um, so yeah, to your question, a hundred percent. Yes. Um, it's really hard. Um, you know, having worked in several different companies that have the unlimited PTO perk, uh, it actually becomes challenging because it's even harder sometimes to take time off. It's like it's unlimited except for, I mean, you know, it's unlimited. So um, one of the things that we've decided to do at Headspace, if it would be helpful for this audience, is that we, um, we, we still have unlimited PTO, but we're actually going to start requiring people to count it in a very diligent way. And um, managers and HR are going to get notifications if employees have not taken um, 10, at least 10 days off throughout the year. Um, and so it's very visible in our company if you're, if you're working. Um, and so it's also getting around that is gonna actually be pretty challenging. Um, we expect that it'll take a while to actually change the culture. Like the, you know, some people don't wanna take that much time, um, but we're hoping within the next year to year and a half, we've actually created a culture in which that is expected and understood and, um, and the counting becomes a little less important over time. We actually just got emails to our different individual teams telling us how much time we have not taken and encouraged to take it. But I think also to that point, they're really good with Pierre at making sure that you're not working on that time off on one hand because I think a lot of people would take it and say oh this is a day where everybody thinks I'm off so I'm going to catch up on my emails and I want to catch up on my work and recognizing that there's a difference between having a blocked no meeting day and so we literally talked with employees about you to know, block a day where it looks like you know if you feel like you want to say you have meetings to do that work but when you take a day off actually take that day and for a lot of people initially, they didn't want to take time off because they were saying, well, I want to store it up and use it. You know, if you don't have access to unlimited PTO, well, I don't want to use three of my days when I could use it to go somewhere when I can travel again. And now as the pandemic has persisted and people aren't doing as much 
travel as they usually did and now it's accruing, even taking that one day to come up with a project that you wanna do at home or read that book or do an online class, what we found is that when we give people examples of what they could use that time for, sometimes it's hard to say, well, I don't wanna take a day and just sit around. And especially for people, on one hand, we're talking a lot about really being overwhelmed with having lots of family and friends around, but there's the opposite for the employee that lives alone. And they wanna work every day because they wanna interact with their employees and they have been isolated. So sometimes even coming up with suggestions of what you can use that time for that's something exciting helps to change the thinking about it a little bit. That's a really good point. It just made me think of something else we do that's a really good idea for that. We actually do a day to give back and we give um, PTO for employees um, in November to find a charity locally where they're based and give back either within groups or um, within their local community. That's just one idea that we do every year and encourage and everybody then shares what they did that day with um, with each other within our, our uh, committees and it's very well received and people love it. So that's one really good idea. Just to encourage people to take a day off and what they could do to get back. I totally forgot. We do the same thing. And with it is that one eight hours of charity day. And we also yeah. give every single employee the day off for their birthday, whether they want to use it on their birthday. Oh, or I love that. Birthday. That's awesome. Yeah. So then you can have that. that day to celebrate. Yeah. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Um, I have another question here from the, um, from the chat. So what can we as employees do to support our colleagues to encourage an environment that supports well-being? What can we as employees do to support our colleagues to encourage an environment that supports well-being? Well, I think that we are getting into the zone of, um, well, I have to participate in these wellness programs. So, but how do we get people into that? mindset of I get to do this and I get to do this for my benefit and it's interesting because I was sitting last night with my daughter she's she's a junior she's 16 and, and I was doing homework with her and it, you know it, it was there was first there was an English paper and then there was this uh, homework on psychology and you know there was a point where I just got like oh my gosh it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm sitting I'm doing this with her but then I did that that mindset shit my shift in my mindset <laughs> and I said oh my gosh I get to sit with my daughter and do this with her so the same way if we can create that mindset shift that we get to do this it is a privilege to participate in these well-being initiatives we will benefit from this not only as a company as uh, but but also as individuals because if you think about it once the 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 environment within the company is is happy and healthy then um not only the benefits are just at the bottom line but also on on the on the individual level like we all, always say you know uh happy food you know and happy employees and then happier bottom line so i think that understanding those benefits and the and the difference between what we have to or, or we get to and we're grateful to is is the big shift that we need to create i i think it goes back to the vulnerability um you know that that keyword that we used before um you know for your colleagues it's pro you're probably the most you're the single most influential 
person in, in the workplace. And so to the degree that you can just be open about what you personally need and what you're asking of the company and what you're asking of your manager, you can be really helpful in supporting one another. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably one of the most important things that you can do. And you're probably set up to have a more authentic conversation because of that. So that's what I would recommend. I love those words, vulnerability and authentic. I think that sometimes just being willing to listen or as you said, you know, being willing to share that if you are having a, a tough day or if you're feeling stressed, sometimes it opens the conversation by you being willing to express that first or even just reminding, you know, talking about what resources are available. You know, sometimes asking the questions and checking with how someone is doesn't mean you're going to make it worse, but it's up to them if they want to respond, but letting them know that that's there. You're not trying to be their therapist. You're just being a support or sharing your, you know, higher level of what you're experiencing. As you can say, you know, it's just being supportive and recognizing it. I think too, to understand and remind ourselves, we always say we don't know, you know, we haven't walked in someone else's shoes and we don't know what they're going through. But sometimes just because somebody looks really put together on the surface doesn't mean that there isn't the rest of that iceberg underneath, you know, to use that ongoing analogy. And so I think just recognizing that we're all under a different type of stress and it's just a different type of year. I, I'm tired of the phrase new normal, but I think being able to recognize that even if somebody looks like they're doing really great on the surface, we don't know what's happening for them at home. And we don't know for some, it's been great to work at home and to not have to commute for others. It's been really stressful in different ways. So we keep coming back to the authenticity, the sharing, the vulnerability, and also just having that grace and that openness to kind of meet people where they're at. Love that. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, earlier about millennials and, you know, now we have there's, what, there's now five active generations in the workforce today. You have your traditionalists, your boomers, uh, your Generation X, your Gen Zers, and your millennials, right? So with millennials being the larger group in the workplace pop population, would you say that the, the same approach to preventing burnout is, is applicable to millennials, or would you say it's something different? In terms of approach. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start the conversation. Uh, so there's definitely different levels of communication with the different generation. As I mentioned, you know, we work with different generations within, within the industry. And what we're seeing with, um, with the younger generations, they're definitely a lot quicker and faster and easier to adopt with technology. Whereas, so whereas you know of the older generations are you know they, they're much more challenged with that so i think that just like we all have different styles of learning you know visual and audio uh maybe the idea here is to create different types of resources for different types of of consumption within the company you know so somebody might might be a lot easier to adopt to using an app or somebody might be just have you know access like you were saying there's a you have a wellness library that that you create so somebody might might be learning from watching some of those videos and for some people it might be more effective to have these live weekly 
sort of these Zoom events where some, you know, an expert comes in and, and does the training. So maybe addressing different styles of consumption is something that, that we can start looking at. Um, I, I've, I've found personally, and we've definitely experienced this at Headspace um, and, and a lot of tech companies and employ younger, younger people's kind of legendary, whether it's Google or, or Facebook, is that um, openness and authenticity and lack of hypocrisy is really important to millennial um, workers and younger younger workers in general. Um, it it it's just a generation that's used to very like seeing what happens in everyone's life from every every lens and having very uncomfortable conversations very publicly and you know comments etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I, I think the best recommendation I would have for anyone in the audience with regard to the generational stuff is just don't be surprised if you get a lot of heat for anything that feels even like remotely not off, inauthentic or with any sort of hypocrisy, because uh, that that will really that will really bite you. And I'm going to go back to the same word, but that requires vulnerability. It requires open communication. It requires things that can sometimes be um, you know, challenging for those who work in traditional industries. Good point. I so. think in fact, no, to it. add to that too, yeah, to add to that too for us, um, we do a lot of listening, a lot of feedback loops uh, to really understand like what people's needs are and it varies regionally, not just based on generation as well. Um, and understanding from those feedback loops and being open and transparent to implement, you know, what works best um, for individuals based on location and region. So we've learned, especially with um, millennial generation is explaining, here's what we heard your feedback, here's what we're doing to improve or implement or um, work together, you know, to achieve. And when they feel like they have that greater purpose of being able to have an impact into that, it just goes a long way of adoption, whatever the initiative is. Um, that's needed. So a lot of the great ideas that we've gotten is just through listening and surveys and open dialogue conversations where we ask for the feedback and we're prepared for good and bad feedback and, and explaining how do we, what are we doing to fix that or improve it or grow it. I think one key with that too, that we're finding as we're doing our well-being assessments is that the word that keeps coming to mind is transparency. And even if we're providing feedback, or maybe there is a request, but it can't be met for one reason, or something's been asked for, but being transparent about the fact that we've heard you and we may not be able to, for instance, everybody may want to take PTO on a certain day, but we can't give it to every single person because we do need a few staff to be present, or just be this perception of fairness oftentimes can go a really long way when information is communicated, even if it's not the response they may want to hear, at least understanding and finding that balance, of course. It's not that management has to, you know, give a reason for everything that they're doing. You, know, you think of the parents, because I said so. Not that extreme, but when there is an opportunity for transparency or to share, or even if policies have shifted, but recognizing that just because one email went out or just one memo went out, doesn't mean that everyone read it because we are being so much more inundated with emails and newsletters and you may put a lot of effort into it and somebody may quickly scroll because they have 10 other emails they have to respond that day. So looking at the communication style and it may ad nauseum that we send it out three times or we have it in multiple places, 
but the communication piece and the transparency has been such a huge piece that we're seeing with some of these key drivers that are having these impact metrics. Absolutely. Um, you know, as adults, that's all we want, right? It's just transparency, you know, give us information, let us make the decisions on our own, right? But just give us the, the information to be able to do that uh, successfully. Yeah. Um, Got quite a few chat comments coming in here in the chat. I'm going to circle back to them, but I did want to ask him. Um, so, you you guys at Wilson HCG are you guys are running the well-being at work marathon, and it sounds like you're winning. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like you guys are winning. So, how are you doing it? Like, what are some tips or best practices you can share with our panel here to um, or our audience here today to kind of help them start to win? in the well-being marathon of life uh, that we're all experiencing. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is, is we have an amazing people and culture uh, team that really drives the corporate wellness program. And in those pillars that we saw on that um, survey in the beginning of the, of the conversation, we have programs for each of those pillars in different ways because we try to meet people where their needs are, what they need at that time in those regions. And, you know, I can't say it enough. It really comes from the leadership down. Um, but we have things that support fitness, whether it's, um, you know, subsidies within gyms, or now we've got like virtual fitness classes, all the, you know, kind of medical programs you could imagine. We do seminars on healthy eating, tips for financial wellness. We'll have external experts come in and really help us learn through financial wellness. Um, fitness competitions, you know, I mentioned the unlimited PTO. Um, we've adopted a lot of virtual sessions as well now with COVID um, to try to continue to keep the connection uh, with our employees, especially around mental health. So we do a lot of safe space seminars. Um, we do a lot of meditation um, pause times as well, depending on the region and the groups. So I think the most important thing that I see is that, that has made our team so successful with this is that there's so many different avenues to connect. We even have a resident happy coach. Um, we have one of our employees who's super passionate about really driving happiness within the organization. So she's a resident coach around that to really help be an influencer for others within the organization. Um, and so there's so many ways you can get involved, uh, whether it's a committee, whether it's uh, within some of these programs, so nobody's really left behind. And so that way you can kind of choose which areas you need at that time and what that looks like. And I think that's what's really made our team so successful, but it's really, you know, our people and culture team's amazing. And our, our CEO just drives that message down, you know, from the top down. That sounds amazing. So you, you, you guys are hitting all of the key pillars, right? Financial health, mental health, uh, physical health, uh, nutritional, um, that's that's really serotonin. That was a word. Serotonin is a word, right? That, that's what I'm saying. That's what <laughs> yep. I the happy juice. The happy juice. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Um, quite a few questions coming here. So let me see. Um, so here's one question from our chat. Um, my organization has initiated a group of peer support workers offering weekly office hours for support. We have the panelists seen uh, have the panelists seen an expansion of such programs in their own work. So, for context, it says that peer support workers are volunteer employees with training, not HR, not supervisors. So, have we seen more uh, peer support workers uh, groups initiated? 
Yeah, we really, um, we've all, you know, kind of always had employee resource groups, but um, since the, you know, since the pandemic, we've vastly, we've really leaned into them because it's, you know, we've found that that is truly the most scalable way for us to have the broadest impact. And, um, you know, we, even at a place like Headspace, where we talk about mental health all the time, there wasn't an employee resource group for people who, you know, are identifying as, you know, either having been diagnosed or just feeling like they really need help. Um, and, you know, both allowing that to happen organically as well as just creating resources, trying to supply oxygen to those groups if we can, we have really seen it grow and has been really, really helpful. Excellent. I, um, I am curious. So, well, there's a, so there, everybody, there's so many questions. This is awesome. <laughs> um, so when we look at, so it looks like there's going to be a vaccine. There's a vaccine underway, right? Um, coming to a hospital or physician near you sometime in the near future. So most likely a lot of people will be now migrating back to the physical workspace, right? Um, they'll be among people again. So people, a lot of people will be out of isolation or insulation and, and so there will likely be more uh, greater interaction. Do you suspect, uh, how do you expect, how do you suspect well-being or mental wellness to be affected by this shift? Do you think there'd be like any culture shock, people going back to the workplace or do you think there'd be uh, remote separation anxiety? Uh. <laughs> I'll jump into it. Well, I, I think that on one hand, you're, I think you're going to have a split and it probably isn't going to just be, you know, one end or the other, but that some individuals are really excited to get back and they want to be around people and they want to be in the office and they want to have their space to work and that camaraderie and that team. But there's also a group of individuals that are going to have a higher level of stress and anxiety about being back in the workspace and who has the vaccine? Is somebody gonna have it? I say a lot that fear is as contagious as a virus in a lot of ways. And I think that for some folks, there's either gonna be the stress and the anxiety about, do I wanna be back around individuals? There's new attention to you know, air quality and other pieces within their environment and that. And plus for some people working from home has worked really well. They like to be able to have more time with their kids to get them ready for school in the morning or to have that time to do their workout and take a quick shower because they don't have the commute. And so I think you're gonna see it on, on different ends of the spectrum where some are gonna be really excited to get back. Some employers may want all of their employees in the office because they can see that they're there and they're working, whereas some are gonna be okay with it being a full remote opportunity. So I don't think there's one quick where everyone's gonna respond in the same way. And that the little kind of unsolicited advice is to kind of be open to the fact that there are gonna be all these different alternatives. We keep coming back to recognizing individual differences. And for some folks, they didn't have the, the ability to commute. And so they're actually more productive because they're able to consistently work. So I think that there's gonna be a lot of, on, on all different ends of the spectrum, so. Yeah. I, 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 um, I also, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kim. I was going to say one thing to add to that. I also think 
what the macro change is going to stay though is the flexibility mindset no matter what it is flexible with somebody who wants to go in office flexible with somebody who does not want to go to an office or how they want to work i just think organizations now have really realized that flexibility and the way they look at hiring their employees is not going to change and that's actually there are some silver linings to that which opens up a lot of uh, positives within the workforce uh, as well so i think that's the the core thing that will say that is the flexibility mindset Yeah, I was going to say, um, I suspect that a lot of people will feel socially wobbly um, is, you know, in the, the research that we've done with with our teams. Um, and I think the other thing is that we're definitely if you have employees in major cities who didn't decide to leave the major city, um, they've been working at home in apartments that are, you know, 800 square feet and are really eager to get back into an office. That's been the case for our employees in London, New York, and San Francisco. Um, they actually need, literally need this space. And our company is trying, is working to be creative about how to accommodate that need as opposed to, you know, how are we getting people back in the office to make sure they're productive? And, uh, you know, it's just a slightly different lens on, on how you think about about returning. What do employees actually mean um, versus what does the company feel it needs? Yeah. And I'm sure that there's gonna be such a thing as a re-entry anxiety as well. I mean, I always think about, you know, how the cosmonauts on the space station, you know, they spend months out there. You know, maybe that, that's some place where we can learn and adapt from that. You know, how do they get, um, get trained to come back and, and be back in that, you know, physical and emotional contact with people again, you know, are we going to remember our social skills and, you know, everybody's going to be very physically awkward with each other too, as well. For sure. Um, you know, one of the things too, during the pandemic, uh, it's been widely touted uh, amid social media that the three major destinations within one's home are the couch, the refrigerator, and in some cases, the wine cellar. Um, so I'm curious, Natalia, specifically for you, how does one eat healthy while in isolation? Oh, oh my, you nailed on my favorite topic. So <laughs> I, uh, my specialty is gut health and I'm so, so passionate to, to talk about this. And one of the things is, so 70 to 80% of our immune system actually resides in the gut. So especially now, you know, while we are in, in this state of pandemic and going into winter months when, you know, there, there's cold and flu season and all of that kind of stuff. It's so much more important to really pay attention to the food that we put into our bodies. Um, and, but it's not only important, you know, to get those good ingredients, but it's also important how, how do we prepare them? Do we prepare them with healthy cooking techniques? But then another, uh, the, the third important factor in this is how we eat it, because you either stress or you digest. The, the, you know, you can't eat and, and absorb all the nutrients that our bodies need uh, when you're stressed. So really, paying attention to the ingredients, to the cooking methods, and, and then how, how do you eat are, are those three most important pillars that, that people need to be really focusing on. And I can talk about this for hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you either stress or digest. Um, so since we're all being vulnerable, has anyone had any struggles around stressing and digesting? <laughs> making it to the couch 
for the refrigerator? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I actually, I'm probably the, I might be the opposite of some people, but I actually, I work in, um, we have like an outbuilding and there's, I have to get up and leave my desk and walk over and get food while my children are running around like crazy animals. And um, so oftentimes I actually will end up skipping meals, which is so bad. It is so bad. And I feel terrible by the end of the day, like physically, but um, I, perfectly vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just sometimes I can't make it work and that's a very bad habit. Mm -hmm. The back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings and you're either trying to eat while you're having a meeting or trying to go off camera and next thing you know it's yeah <laughs> yeah I, I would agree I, i'm a victim of eating just once a day sometimes i'll load up on coffee which is a i think an appetite suppressant and, <laughs> and that's kind of it so can't say, say uh, that I've ever had a, a cup of coffee in my life, not once. And people are always shocked about the energy levels that I have. But I, I've gone through the training with the Institute for Functional Medicine on specifically mitochondrial function. So there are a lot, lot of tricks. And just a quick tip, even if you're in between the meetings, uh, pre-make those energy bites, energy balls. I make them once a week and then I can snack on them uh, during, if I know that I have crazy back-to-back -back day meetings. Or go go for a good smoothie, like a good, mm. you know, something that, that is really filled with nutrients. So those two are probably my my super go tos all the time. I appreciate that. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> That's all I can promise. <laughs> now, Shelby, I will say, do you know how long it takes to metabolize the caffeine in one cup of coffee? I think it's eight hours. About seven to eight hours. So we're thinking about your sleep as well. <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> but you're right. All right. This is great. I want to give a, a quick shout out to our sponsor and then we're going to transition into our uh, Q&A session for, for everyone. So big shout out to um, our nonprofit onbikes.org uh, who are simply doing their part in restoring the self-confidence and health and overall well-being of at-risk uh, kids in the community. Uh, they're a partner of ours. Uh, to donate to onbikes.org, uh, you can go to onbikes.org. Uh, please know that if you made any monetary donations uh, to attend this session today, all proceeds will be allocated to onbikes.org. And we thank you all so much um, and immensely. So thank you for that. Um, so a couple of, we've got quite a few questions here in the uh, Q&A session. So I'll start with uh, this one, um, what can employees do to open up conversations around mental health at an organization that doesn't promote or support well-being? As we know, all organizations are not created equal. All leaders are not created equal. So what do we do? What, what, what support and advice direction can we provide? I, I, the question I would probably ask myself in this circumstance, and trust me, I've worked at these companies, but you know, um, mental health and well-being is not a priority. And uh, but you're probably not the only one who thinks it should be. And my my recommendation, if you're if you're able to do this and you're comfortable doing this, is actually trying to find a a senior person who might also have the same orientation as you, so that 
when they are in meetings where decisions about employees are being made, you have at least one voice. Uh, the other recommendation that I would have is that we have a number of partners who their employee resource groups are actually the groups who have gone to their massive corporation um, and CFOs and, and asked to fund something like Headspace within the workplace. And so if you have some sort of avenue along those lines, uh, that that can also be, be a helpful way to um, try and push the idea that these things are important and be really specific in the ask. I want something that helps we should have something that's for financial well-being or physical well-being um, rather than I just want well-being uh, is some of the ways that I've actually just seen it be successful with our partners. And that's something that we've been working with organizations as we've been going in and doing the well-being assessment. One of the trainings that we provide is it's called voicing needs specifically for employees to be able to have those conversations and walking them through. We actually have a, a voicing needs planner that we can provide. So if any, anyone wants to send me an email afterwards, I can talk to you about those solutions. But we help employees to be able to, we provide a, a where we help them to be able to identify the goals and ways to express it and that they feel empowered. So, you know, to Lindsay's point of having a senior person, if there's someone that can champion it, but also what are some certain ways that it can be communicated that you feel like you're expressing it without worrying about that judgment piece and being able to help them to walk through the steps of planning the logistics and preparing for the conversation so they feel more prepared and confident to go in and have the conversation. Hmm. Another like maybe hack might be um, if you, a lot of companies that are focused on well-being um, have white papers that might speak to performance enhancements, <laughs> business metrics that get moved, Headspace does, I'm sure most companies have those things. And so I would actually seek out solutions and get white papers and get free data to help build a business case if you think that that might be helpful too. Yeah, education is always a plus, right? That's always a plus. The more information and education you can get, that's always helpful. Um, you know, one of the questions is that, you know, everyone's commenting that, you know, we're sharing some very aspirational concepts. Um, however, it can be difficult to implement some of these concepts when we're dealing with like a deadline driven atmosphere, such as month in um, uh, deliverables, uh, where the team is required to meet, de you know, tight deadlines, probably on a regular basis. So do you have any like real life, uh, real life examples on how this, this, this new mindset that we're talking about incorporating well-being uh, any examples or real life examples of how this new mindset can be applied uh, in a deadline driven atmosphere? Um, this is something I think about a lot because a big part of our organization is sales, which is, you know, you have some very serious deadlines so that you can, you can, um, you can pay your rent. And, but the thing is, that is, I think I would ask the person who works in this environment is if it's a deadline every single day that is super high pressure, I'd, I'd offer or challenge, does it need to be that way? There are month in closes. If you're in accounting, you can't get, you know, you can't get past that. But the first week of the next month, are you asking your employees to keep up the same pace? Because if you are, that might be part of the problem, um, not to have the expectation that every single day is a, is a huge deadline. 
if it is, I, I would really encourage you to kind of take a step back and, and look at that. I think another thing, I mean, that's a really good point. Another thing to add to that too is there's a lot of really good data you can use to also show the ROI of productivity when it comes to allowing your employees to have that time, whatever industry you're in, our industry is recruiting. So a lot of our data is around hiring goals. Um, it's a deadline driven environment every single day because companies want their people hired faster and yesterday. Um, but you can definitely see the productivity, especially in our world around output based on um, people and burnout. And then when you start to see your turnover data go up and some of those reasonings as to why is because of burnout, you start to see the impact of that data on either, you know, client satisfaction, employee satisfaction, all that trickle down of that data is a really good um, starting point to show the business ROI of investing in these programs. Mm -hmm. So it's just finding some of that data. It's usually there, um, whether or not you have the, you know, the best systems in the world, but um, being able to go find that data and use it. Um, to drive some of that change is really important. So to give you a stat on that, research is showing that every dollar spent on well-being programming on average increases productivity by three to five dollars. So you're seeing mm -hmm. a three to five, you know, in terms of that huge return on investment. Wow. That's a great stat. That is a great stat. Are there any other metrics that we can think of that can um, can can tell us, you know, whether we're being successful in addressing uh, employee engagement in, in its relation to burnout. I, I think those are the ones. Resilience, productivity, presenteeism, employee retention. Um, people are leaving your organization. That yeah. I, I I mean, that's a that's a sign. Um, I do want to go back really quickly to the the question around this seems aspirational. What do you do, um, practically speaking, in a deadline driven environment? And I think there's one thing to also keep in mind is that what I think all of us are concerned about is chronic stress that leads to burnout as opposed to intermittent stress that actually can sometimes serve us to hit. Uh, you know, big deadlines. And so to the degree that you can evaluate, or am I creating an environment of chronic stress? Or am I, you know, or is this just an intermittent period of stress that we create and then we, we release the pressure valve? Um, I, I would really encourage you to take a look at that too. That's a good point. Any other thoughts around that? Um, just like I mentioned before, so with us uh, in the industry, we have a deadline every day, every, you know, every dinner rush when there is, or the, this Mother's Day, we, we only did takeout and we had two hour wait, so for, for people to pick up the food. Uh, and, you know, the, the pressure is enormous, uh, you know, not to mention, you know, there's blades and there's flames and, you know, so there's that. So I just want to reiterate the importance of that, of that pre-shift, you know, you, like you know, stress is theirs, but the stress is predictable that we have, you know, so it's, it's really arming ourselves with tools, whether it's just like, okay, I know that there's a deadline and I know that I can't get off the line to take a five minute meditation break, but I know that I can take those 
just a deep breath to calm down in that moment, that can be so, so valuable. I appreciate that. I think it's just being mindful of knowing that these little things, these little tools and, and, and techniques we can really leverage in real time to really help us, you know, be perform at a high level or sustain at a, uh, you know, a less stressful uh, level in mindset. Um, it's just a matter of really embracing them and applying them. So I, I really hope that our audience was able to, um, you know, pull away with some things. I, I know that I have. Um, we're, we're nearing our two minute warning. So I want to respect everyone's time by making sure we end uh, uh, at uh, 1.30. So I want to ask each of you, um, if you had to choose one word for well-being in the year 2021, what would that word be? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Why, Kim? <laughs> well, the theme on this call came up a lot. And one of the quotes that I always live by, too, is vulnerability is a strength. And I think that that's come out in 2020 significantly for everybody, too. So that's why. Like it. Like it. I'd say pause. Uh, just pause. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like take a beat. Um, is definitely been one of the things that I've had to really uh, pay a lot of attention to in 2020. Just pause. I agree. I think we all have paused quite a bit this year. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's going to extend. Yeah. I think for me, it would be empathy, and mm -hmm. it's empathy to myself as a leader. And then how do I spread that empathy to? to the team members and so that they showcase that same empathy to their coworkers so that they are so in tune with, with the environment that they know when somebody needs help. So just to, to have, keep practicing that empathy. I like that, empathy is good. Melissa? So I would actually say awareness and the fact that I think that it's something that has been pushed under the rug and for, as I keep saying, you know, the silver lining that I think it's brought it to the forefront that this is something that's so important. And then mental well-being and your know, physical health and mental health and all these other aspects are so important and bringing to awareness that this is an important piece within the work culture, as well as just personal. Love it. Thank you ladies so much for joining us today. I think that's a great note to end it on. Um, on behalf of uh, Living HR, we want to thank all of you uh, for your time, your insights, and sharing knowledge around uh, putting well-being first for humans in the workplace. Um, I want to thank our amazing audience for your, your ears and your questions uh, here today. Great engaging conversation today uh, about well-being at work, and I wish you all a very safe and happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Happy holidays to all.